guys, uh, I am so excited to be here with you. I, you guys, we recently moved. Okay, we were born and raised Californians my whole life, and then we recently moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay, okay, okay. We love it. We love it. Um, and what I think of what we have in Charlotte, and I think about what I miss from California, and what I wish two things that I wish we had in Charlotte was In and Out. And Hume Lake, Christian Camps. There is something so incredibly special about this place. And I grew up coming here. My mom, Carol Risher, used to lead worship here for the women's retreats, and like the mother-daughter retreats they used to have. And so she would bring me when I was a baby. And I grew up coming here. And then we got married. And my husband and I have gotten to be a part of conferences here for the past 23 years. And so Hume has a place of my heart. And I feel like when you come up the hill, I feel like we can all experience this. It's like a big exhale, right? I mean, let, okay, let's just like, let's do it together, right? Let's just, doesn't it feel good? Like, it's just so good to be up here. Now, I say that we recently moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, but the reality is we moved two years ago, okay? But it just like, the first year was like one big vacation. It was like exploring and doing all the things. And then the second year now, it's finally felt like home. We found our people and we found our places. Like, you know, when you move, you have to find like your community and your Chick-fil-A. And so we <laughs> did, the, I'm not joking, as we looked for a house, I was like Googling, how's, what's the nearest Chick-fil-A? What's the nearest Target? And that's how we found our home. And so I show up this weekend to you as a fellow believer, a follower of Jesus from across the country. And I get to, right? I come from a faraway land. Um, I get to share with you what God is doing in my life 2,000 miles away. And I get to be encouraged about what God is doing in your life and how he's working in you. And the gathering of us is so important. And the sharing of our stories is so important. We all love hearing stories. I love stories. You guys, I love hearing people's stories and experiences. I will share with you really quick my most embarrassing story because it happened on this stage. I think I've shared it here once before. But I was coming to lead worship for a mother-daughter conference in May. You'd think we'd be in like sandals and flip-flops. Well, I was, but joke's on me because there was snow here at Hume. And so I'm driving up the mountain. I'm like, why did I not check? So I'm like, I literally hit black ice and I bang into like a, a snowbank and I like get back on the road. Like it was very traumatic, okay? So I get up here and I have my son Jackson, who at the time was like seven months old. And I walk into this chapel. There's no one here. I'm the first one here. And I'm like, I gotta pee. But my son, I'm like, what do I do with Jackson? So I walk right here and I just like lay him down. Because I'm thinking, he can't, he's not mobile yet. Like he's not gonna, he's not gonna go anywhere. So I run backstage to go potty, and I sit down, and as I'm peeing, the power goes out. We lose power in the snowstorm. And you guys, look around. There's no windows in this place, and you cannot see your hand in front of you. It is pitch black. And I freak out. I panic my baby. And I'm thinking, what if right now is when he learns to crawl, and he just goes right off the stage? And so I stand up, and my pants are down around my ankles, and I waddle out here, and I get right here, and all of a sudden, the lights come on, the power comes back on. And my pants are around my ankle and I look up and the sound guy had arrived. <laughs> I'm like, hello, hello, it is so good to meet you. I'm so glad to be here. So, <laughs> stories, they connect us, right? Like I just entrusted you with my horrifying moment. They connect us with each other. And so, since stories are my favorite, I also have to confess to you, like this is my this is like one of my most embarrassing things that you're going to judge me. And I'm being honest. Like, I'm going to say it, and you're going to judge me. And I just want to get it out of the way because I'm going to bring my most authentic self to you guys. But because I love stories, 
I really like reality television. I know, I know, and you're judging me, and look, you didn't even laugh, because you're like, <gasps> like, I don't love, like, the naughty stuff, but, like, you guys, I love, like, getting a glimpse into people's real lives. Don't tell, it's not real. Okay, I don't want to talk about it. I love the storylines. I love the details. I love, I want to know all the details, all the things, and I come by this very honestly and sincere, you guys, because as a child, I used to watch Judge Wapner on the people's court. And I would watch these court stories, and then in middle school, my best friend Jessica Fivecoat and I would get in the, on the tram, we had like a city kind of tram that would take us to downtown San Jose. We would get off, we would walk to the courthouses, go through security, and sit in on real court cases. <laughs> like, who does that at 11? I do. I have an 11-year-old. I would never let them. So people would be like, oh my goodness, Sienna, maybe you're going to want to be an attorney someday. Like, you love court cases. I'm like, no, 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 I just love hearing people's stories. Like, I love the drama of it all. I would watch, you know, um, um, uh, Judge Judy, and then I'd get in the car with my mom, and she and I would listen to Dr. Laura. Does anyone remember Dr. Laura? Okay, Dr. Laura Schlesner, for all you young people, she had a radio show, and you would call in and ask her all of your questions, and she'd give you all the advice. And so I even called Dr. Laura myself, and I was on the radio, and she did not agree with me, okay, so that didn't go well. But <coughs> one of my reasons, one of the reasons why I absolutely love the Bible, one of my favorite things about the Bible is all the books in the New Testament that Paul wrote that are actual letters to actual people. It's like we get a peek in at like what was happening in that day, in their lives, in the churches, and in their relationships. Letters that we learn from and receive to this day, but at the time, he was just writing letters to different churches in different areas and a way to like update each other on what was happening, but also encourage one another, and they would ask questions about each other. And so I feel like a lot of these stories are kind of like your own little like reality TV show in the Bible. And I'm not, you, it's not blasphemous, I'm just telling you it's like so real, and I'm going to give you some examples, okay? I'm taking the time to do this because I want you to love the stories in the Bible, like I love the stories in the Bible. Okay, you don't believe me? First Corinthians chapter one. Okay, I think we have it on the screens. This is just a little passage. It's a sample letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. You guys, he just called them out, and he sold out Chloe. Like, you wonder, I'm like sitting there, I'm all, oh my, who's Chloe? Like, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, where the, all the people like, uh, Chloe, uh, chill, we're fine. You told him, gosh. He goes on to say, he goes on to say, what I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That was Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You guys, he's like super sarcastic right now. I am like eating it up. He's got a little attitude. And then he goes on. He goes, I thank God I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say you were baptized in my name. And then look at this, he's all, he's all, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Do you know how real this is? He's like, I'm so glad I didn't baptize you because that's, that, that's savage. He's like, I, I only baptized them and maybe a few others. But he's like, I am not your savior, so stop it. And that's how I read the Bible, you guys. I read it with like, 
inflection and imagining. I imagine the people and the places and the conflict, and it's very dramatic in my head. And these are letters that are, I mean, there's this one letter, you guys, that he's like, at one point he starts calling out these two girls by name. He's like, Yoda and Sinkti, you two, we share the gospel together, and you guys are now fighting, you better settle your argument right now. And I'm like, these poor Yoda and Sinkti, like their names are forever in our Bible. <laughs> like he was just writing a letter. He, didn't, he wasn't like, I'm writing something that's going to be the, no, he was like writing a letter to these people, and like now we're like, oh, poor Yoda. So now this is the last one. This one gets a little PG-13, okay? We're PG-21. Um, at one point in 1 Corinthians, he starts answering questions, because you see, they would write these letters back and forth, and they'd be like, they'd ask questions like, how should we live out our faith? And you think that they're writing, asking questions like, how should we serve the poor? How should I love my neighbor, Paul? And this is what he says. To answer your questions, yes, you should abstain from sexual immorality. And he's like, but there's so much sexual immorality that, like, then fi- have, uh, husbands have one wife. Wives have one husband's. And then he goes on, he's like, and wives, actually starts with husbands, because you know. He's like, husbands, you need to fulfill your wives, their needs, okay? And then he's like, wives, you know, you should also fulfill your husband's needs. And you're like, oh my goodness, like, those are the questions they're asking, they're going there. And I'm like, you know that someone called Dr. Laura like that, right? They were like, Dr. Laura, should I? And she was like, no, you should not, you should not. And so what I wanna share to you tonight is different probably than any Friday night message that you might typically hear at Hume. But it's similar to a a letter that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You see, Paul is encouraging this church in Corinth and by sharing um, what God is doing in Macedonia. And this, this is an area about 450 miles away in Corinth from Macedonia. So you have to imagine how long letters would get to travel that far. We live in a time when social media allows us to what? Instantly see what's happening across the globe. But back then, letters were like the social media of that time, and they longed to hear what was happening in the churches in other areas. Because you have the beginnings of something. The church is just launching, and stories are spreading, and people are hearing about what God is doing and how God is working far from them, and it spurred them on, and it fanned the flame of their faith. And so it says in 2 Corinthians 8, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God is doing in his kindness or what has God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. He says, hey, I need to tell you about how God is at work over there so that you can be encouraged where you are right here. And he's saying these people are so poor and they have so many troubles, but guess what? God has just given them abundant joy and out of that joy, they're being generous with each other. And so this church was so encouraging. He's like, be encouraged. God is alive and well. How encouraging to that church in court. And so that is what I want to do to kick off our weekend tonight. My new home is 2,000 miles away. And what God is doing 2,000 miles away, I believe, is meant to encourage our hearts. And so I want to report to you like how Paul did, about a move of God that you may not have seen with your own eyes, but that I just want to share an eyewitness account of. And this experience is something I want to share with you because it found me relating to the story in the Bible that I had heard my whole life, but I had never um, connected with more than after this experience. If you have your Bible, you could turn to it in the book of Luke. Chapter 8 is where we're going to read, starting at verse 42. And here we're going to read about a woman who had been suffering for 12 years with an issue of blood. 
And there's a lot of cultural context that we can get into as to why this made her unclean and the social implications for that for that day. But tonight, I just wanted us to pause as I think about all of us as women showing up this weekend at Hume Lake to meet Jesus. And I think it's helpful for us sometimes to hear other people's stories of how they showed up to meet Jesus. Luke 8, 42, it says, as Jesus was on his way, The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman showed up in a crowd full of faith, expectant, expecting to be healed, believing that if she just touched a small piece of cloth that was touching his body, she could find healing. She didn't care if it was embarrassing. She didn't care if it took her time and energy. She didn't care if it disrupted what she had planned for that day. She didn't care what other people thought about it. She didn't care that she wasn't supposed to be there. She believed she would experience his goodness that day. And so she went expectant and with faith, and it changed her life. And that's kind of how I felt two months ago when I texted my husband, John, and I said, I feel like I'm supposed to go to Asbury University. Now, perhaps you read about it on social media or heard about it on the news, but there was like this circulating story about a so-called revival that was taking place on a college campus in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And, and so the stories kind of started pouring in about what was happening. It was on my news feed, and so I just decided to Google how far it would be from me. And it was six and a half hours. And so I just like wrestled, like, I don't really have the time and space for it. But at the same time, I just kept feeling this unexplainable pull to go. And so I texted John. I said, I feel like maybe I should go to Asbury University. And John texted me back and he said, you have to go in in capital letters. And then he said this, I think God has something there for the women of Hume Lake. And so I went with you in mind. And tonight I want to share with you my account. I just want to report to you our own modern day letter on how God is at work thousands of miles away. I'm actually going to read to you what I posted on social media. This ended up being shared um, by just thousands of strangers. My inbox just kind of fill up with all these strangers DMing me from around the world. And to this day, literally, I'm in conversations with people about this account. On Wednesday afternoon, my 18-year-old son Jackson and I spontaneously hopped in the car and headed out on a a six-and-a-half-hour road trip to Asbury University. We heard the stories of a chapel service that had ended with students lingering afterward, which turned into a time of prayer and confession and worship and reconciliation and never ended. Eight days later, and they're still there. Literally thousands of students and adults have now come through, gathering 24 hours a day, worshiping and praying. We pulled onto the campus around 9 p.m., and I was equal parts curious and expectant. As we drove up to the chapel, tears began to stream down my cheeks. I wasn't technically crying, but I also apparently was. 
Have you ever had your body physically respond to something before your mind and emotions were even there yet? We parked and joined the sea of people outside the chapel. We were gathered, people were gathered on the grass, singing and praying. Other people were in a huge line waiting to get in the chapel building. We joined the line and we stood there waiting to go in. And the tears continued to stream down my cheeks. I'm not super emotional by nature, so it caught me off guard. But it also was just so plain and simple. There was a unique, sweet spirit there. You could feel it, sense it. My body knew it. We entered the chapel and found seats. All the lights in the room were on. A few students were on the stage singing, playing, and worshiping, but they were mostly drowned out by the voices in the wooden seats that filled the room. Jackson and I took a moment to just sit and listen, soak in what was happening in the room. I closed my eyes and my body felt heavy, weighty, not in a burdensome way, but in a way that sensed that we were in a profound and sacred space. We spent the next several hours worshiping, praying, listening, resting, seeking. The room was filled with college students, families, senior citizens. Some people sang, some people prayed. They prayed alone, they prayed in groups, they prayed for the person next to them. They came forward and prayed at the altar. Some people sat and read their Bibles. A young man in front of me sat and journaled prayers to Jesus. A young dad stood until midnight with one hand raised and one hand holding as his baby slept. There were no big stage lights. The room was fully lit. The sound system was on, but barely. No one on stage was the center of attention. None of us were wowed by the talent on the stage. These were just average students stepping in to help shepherd our hearts toward Jesus. They were authentic, humble, and submitted to the Spirit. And when I say they submitted to the Spirit, I mean that with all sincerity. The lead worshipers would start a song, but the Spirit moved among the people in the room in such a unique way a song would get louder or softer or have clapping or no clapping, not based on how the band led, but on what the spirit was doing in the room. I don't even know if I'm able to explain it well. There was a spirit of unity in the room that expressed itself through worship in a profound way. At one point, a man behind us started talking to Jackson, and Jackson and I exchanged a glance like, this guy's a little different, so just smile and nod. But this man continued to pause his worship and speak to Jackson. And as we continued to listen, it was clear this was not a smile and nod moment. This was a lean in and listen moment. The man spoke many prophetic things over Jackson. He knew Jesus and heard from him profoundly. He invited Jackson to join him at the altar. So Jackson and this man headed forward for prayer. He slipped out of the room around midnight, but not before leaning forward one last time and telling Jackson, Remember this night for the rest of your life. Jackson proceeded to write everything down that the man had spoken. At different times throughout the night, people were invited to read scripture aloud from their seat. Other times, a staff person would get up and share a prayer, a thought or a prayer. The things said were incredibly beautiful. Everything was about repentance and surrender and unity in Jesus. There were stories shared of pastors from different churches seeing each other across the chapel room and reconciling after feeling in competition for years. There were other stories shared one of a missionary couple who was kicked out of their village for sharing the gospel. They ended up seeing a 12-second clip of the Asbury worship service online and decided to go back to the village and ask to share the gospel one last time, and the entire village put their faith in Jesus. Right? I share these stories with you to fan the flame of your faith, too. Jackson and I stayed several hours, and we finally checked into a hotel at 3 a.m., but I just have to say, I will never forget the sound in that room at Asbury University. The sound of worship was just different. Every single person there had come expectant. Maybe like me, not even sure what to expect. 
but they came with wonder, filled with faith that something was there for them. Something was happening. And they were curious. They came seeking. You don't find yourself in an old chapel at 1 a.m. on a Wednesday night in the middle of nowhere unless you have purpose for being there. The voices in the room were filled with faith, and it was very unique. Again, I don't have the words to explain it well. I'm just trying as best I can since so many have asked. As Jackson and I are driving home now, we're processing together. I asked him what he felt and what his takeaways were. He said he was honestly just surprised by the whole experience. He had heard about what was happening there, so he expected it to be special, almost magical. Instead, he said, it was none of that. It was the most regular people he's ever seen. No one was special. It was just, it just felt like you were at home in the most shalom way. He was struck by the profound unity in the room. It was a, the ground is level at the foot of the cross type experience. Oh man, what a good gift to all our hearts that this revival is happening through the most regular people. Be encouraged. My takeaway, outside of what I've already shared, revival comes from the spirit of God at work in humbled, surrendered people. As people pray for this type of experience to spread and travel, we must know this type of revival is not going to come from a platform. I just feel certain of it. It will come from the spirit of the living God having his way in the hearts of surrendered people. Someone from the Asbury staff said last night, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then people should experience radical kindness and humility when they encounter you. This is how we'll see revival. Followers of Jesus, regular people obsessed with following him in humility and sacrifice and surrender. Followers of Jesus obsessed with love. We're almost home now, a quick 24-hour trip where we found out that once again, number one, God is real. Number two, he is not impressed by a stage, a platform, or our talents. He loves that we steward our gifts, but our praise sounds the same in his ears, whether with stage lights and loud microphones or with old stage mics and in a well-lit room. It's the posture of our heart that matters. Number three, God uses regular people. Number four, faith-filled voices sound different. And number five, sometimes your body senses the move of the Spirit of God before your mind and heart do. Listen to the tears. Be encouraged, friends. He is alive and well. I take the time to write this and to read this to you this evening because, ladies, this is why we're here this weekend. It's why we're here and not like at a hot yoga retreat, right? This is why we're here and we're not like at a self-help seminar. We're here at Hume Lake Christian Camps because there is a God that is alive and well. And he is not sleeping. He is not on a break. He is still on the throne and he is still on the move. And he is worthy of our time and our attention and our pursuit. And I want you to know that he's at work 2,000 miles away in a profound way. And it's not because Asbury University is special, but it's because these college students at that chapel chose a posture that invited the Spirit of God to ignite their hearts. And my prayer for us as we kick off this weekend together is that we would posture our hearts in a similar way so that we would experience a revival that looks like theirs? No. <laughs> so that we would experience a, something that God, the living God, would do in our own hearts, that he would meet us in a unique way here, however he chooses to meet us, whether in this room, whether walking around the lake, whether playing a game, or even as he ministers to us in our sleep. I want to share with you what was present in the room that, that night at Asbury. There was humility and hunger 
and thirst and longing and lingering and expectancy and faith. However, as I began to read other accounts and articles about what was happening there during that time, some reports were really focused on what wasn't present, okay? Here's what was highlighted. There was no stage lights. There was no loud worship. There was no fog machine. There was no comfortable seats, no dimmed lighting in the room, no programming for the service. And you know what? I mean, those things are true. But there's a lot of churches around the country that don't have those things. And there's nothing unique happening there. So although we want to go, see, we don't need all those things. <laughs> that may or may not be true, but it's not what made the space beautiful. What wasn't there was not the formula. Let me tell you again what was present. Humility, hunger, thirst, longing, lingering, expectancy, and faith. What do all of those things have in common? They're all internal postures of the heart. What do lights and a fog machine have in common? They're external expressions. And we are so often to look at externals and make models out of them, right? We need a fog machine. We don't need a fog machine. We need a band. We don't need a band. All externals. Can God use them all? Absolutely. God can work through loud music and soft music and comfortable chairs and wooden chairs and through worship songs and through hymns. And let me just pause right here and say, talent is a gift from the Lord. I thank the Lord for our worship band this weekend because they are using the gifts that God has given them to usher us into worship and adoration. But just their actual playing is not what makes it worship. It's their hearts and the words and the posture. And what I learned that night and in the wee hours of the morning at Asbury is that the internal posture of the heart is what the spirit of the living God received and used as a catalyst for everything else. The internal posture produced an external fruit. You see, the internal will always lead to the external. Let me say that again. The internal will always lead to the external. Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, verse 34, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whatever is in our hearts will ooze out of us. It will come out of our mouths. It will play out in our behavior. It will affect our relationships. It will impact our families. It will set the tone in our workplaces. It will play out in our marriages. And ultimately, it will affect our relationship with God. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And because the internal posture produces an external fruit, the fruit that night was things like worship and prayer and scripture meditation and confession of sins to one another, restored relationship, redemption, increased faith. And so because all of those beautiful things were happening, what was the temptation, right? Oh, there's confession of sins and prayer and worship. People began to say, well, we need to have that at our church. We need to gather and confess and worship and pray. Is that true? Yeah. But again, where does it all begin? If we want our mouths to speak life, we must have hearts full of truth. If we want freedom from sin through confession to one another, we must have hearts full of humility. If we want our prayers to be authentic, we must have hearts full of sincerity. It starts here. If we want more of Jesus and to taste and see for ourselves that he is good, we need hearts that are hungry for him, hearts that thirst for him. If we want worship that physically sounds different, 
like to actually sound different to the human ear, like I am testifying I heard in that little chapel, then we have to have hearts that are filled with faith. When I tell you that faith-filled worship in that room sounded different, I'm telling you it sounded different. The reality was everyone was there believing for something. I told my husband, you know, when we go to church, there's, there's those that believe and those that don't believe. And there's those who are skeptical and there's those who aren't. There's those who are faking it and there's those that just go because it's just what we do and it's just something to check off a list. And all are welcome. It makes the most beautiful sound as we come as we are. That night in Kentucky, the people who were there showed up with intention. They drove far. They stood in long lines. They took time away from their families and jobs. There was a missionary couple there who sold their car just to buy two plane tickets to be there. Now, these are people that already know Jesus. <laughs> they already believe in him, but they were longing for something more. And oh my goodness, can we not relate to that? We may say we know Jesus, but so many of us are feeling still so empty. We are longing for something more, something more authentic, something deeper because we've allowed cheap substitutions to be what fill us. And I think there is a move of God in our world and in people both outside of the church and inside of the church that are finally raising a white flag and saying, I can't do it like this anymore. This isn't cutting anymore. I used to think I was okay and I'm not okay. I used to think social media was like a really fun way to stay connected to my friends and now I feel inadequate and lonely and depressed. I used to think a news was a good way to stay informed and now I watch it or I read it and I feel sad and angry and overwhelmed and the way of living isn't working anymore. We all know, right, suicide rates are skyrocketing. The striving and the fighting and the hate over politics and platforms. It's just, right, it's like weighing us down. And it's not just the world that's struggling, right? It's us inside the church, and it's not compelling. And I think the world is saying, church, hey, I'd like, I see that you're struggling to even love those inside the church. How will you love us that are outside that maybe don't agree with you when you can't even love your own brothers and sisters that are inside the church? You guys, we need a Chloe. We need Chloe to come and call us out, right? And be like, hey, you need unity among you. And I think it's, it's, like, it's like dark and like, ugh, but I think this discontentedness, with, content, mm -hmm, discontentedness, four, four syllables, ta-da! I think this discontentedness with life, as we are currently living it, I think it's holy. Yes. I think it's a holy discontent with how things are. This one dose of an hour with Jesus on Sunday mornings, maybe another dose of an hour with him on a midweek small group is not cutting it. It's not what we were created for. It's not how God designed us to relate to him. Just a small dose here and a small dose there. I honestly don't think what happened at Asbury was for the benefit of those who don't know Jesus. And God used it all, yes. And people came to faith, yes. But I believe it was mostly about the church, the big C church. It was about us coming to a place of repentance and coming in humility and in faith and longing for more of him, lingering until we experience it for ourselves and believing that he will meet us there remembering our first love. Revival is this invitation to come back to life, to believe that, that in faith, 
that God can revive in our hearts that which has grown tired and weary or has even died. The woman with the issue of blood was different than everyone else in the crowd. How? How was she different? I mean, Jesus was in a big crowd. Lots of people wanted to be near him. Lots of people were there because they were so curious, right? They were curious about what was happening. But she, the woman with the issue of blood, she came with faith. The person with faith got the healing. She got to experience it for herself. She got the blessing and the intimacy and the reward. The people who showed up curious got to see the miracle. We get to see who Jesus is. Jesus didn't have to stop and acknowledge it, right? He didn't have to tell the crowd. He could have just been walking, and he could have just thought to himself, like, huh, someone just touched me, and they got healed. That was really cool. Oh, my goodness. And just kept walking, right? He could have done that, but he didn't. He stopped, and he highlighted her faith, and then he put the power of God on display so everyone could see it. The people who were curious saw the healing, but the person who came in faith, the woman, she didn't get to just see it. She got to experience it firsthand. Ladies, how do you come this weekend? Do you come curious? Do you come expectant? Maybe a combo of both? Maybe you came because you just desperately needed time away. Maybe you came because you just wanted time with girlfriends to have fun and just laugh together. Maybe you came because you are carrying a heavy weight in life. Matthew 28, Matthew 11, 28 to 30 it says, come all who are burdened and have some heaviness on you because Jesus wants to give you rest this weekend. <laughs> I believe deep down at the root of it all, we all came expectant for something, right? Anticipating something good. You don't just drive hours and hours up a windy hill overlooking a cliff that makes you want to vomit, right? <laughs> for no reason. You don't do it for no reason. You don't figure out childcare for your kids for no reason, you don't get your work shift covered for no reason, you don't give away a weekend of your year to have it wasted, we're too busy for that. I believe we all came here expecting something. And expectancy and faith are close friends. And so I believe the very fact that you are here shows that you have at least a mustard seed of faith. And the Bible says that's all you need. Some of you came with hearts full of faith, and that's beautiful. And some of you came with barely enough faith to just walk in the door. And that's beautiful. All you need is the tiniest seed of it. Jesus will honor it. Maybe some of you come reluctant, not sure why you're here. Maybe some of you just said, I was invited. Okay, I'll try it. Jesus was always welcoming those who didn't know if they were welcome. You are welcome here. I was talking to my husband, John, as I was preparing for this. And I said to John, man... That woman with the issue of blood, I mean, talk about faith. Like, she must have had huge faith. And John said, it never says that she had huge faith. He says, we don't know if she had huge faith. He goes, I think she had desperate faith. And maybe you come this weekend with desperate faith. However you come, I want to invite you to bring what you have to Jesus and believe that he has something for you this weekend. Would you stand right now with me? And we're just going to all together hold out our hands in front of us. 
as a posture of surrender and faith, a posture to receive, believing that he will give to you this weekend. Even this posture, my friends, is a step of faith. It's an act of faith. Even that. Let's just close our eyes and stand in silence before God. He knows what's going on in your life and in your heart. I want to invite you to dare to believe that he is with you right now. He sees you standing with what faith you have. My friends, he's looking at you right now with so much love and grace and compassion. We're not in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. We are right here in the middle of California in the Sequoia National Forest, bringing what we have, believing him to meet us here. God, we come to you in humility. We long for you. We long for your presence. We thank you for the gift of your presence. God, we are desperate for your healing power. You know what needs healing in our hearts tonight. You know the stories. And like the woman with the issue of blood, God, we just come in faith with what we have, believing that you are good and you are kind and that you will meet us here. Would you revive in our hearts tonight that which we have dismissed as dead, forgotten, or unhelpable? And God, would you give us faith to believe, to believe that you will meet us here, to believe that our faith-filled worship will sound different We give this weekend to you in faith, believing you will meet us here. And all of God's children said, amen, amen.